Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34th. San Luis Obispo, wherever you are, every day, you guys are out there hustling. I shouldn't have opened the door. I'll be out there. It's only 58. And, 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 you know, you can't say thank you enough. You know, I've had the privilege of the course of the last uh, couple months to see a lot of you because we've been out and about. That said, I also know I haven't been everywhere, uh, and you've been sure to make that point. Uh, but we just finished, you know, over the course of the weekend, uh, we had nine town halls. What's so wonderful about it is that I am a very different person because of that process. I'm a different person because I have a different sense of what matters, uh, what's driving you, what you're hearing about, what concerns you, what concerns folks that you're out there representing uh, and working hard on behalf of. And I, I think that's, that's what this campaign should be about. That's what campaigns are about. I'm here because the rent is too damn high. Why are you here? Why are you here? Absolutely, and we need to let the people in this building know. As a state uh, Democratic Party official, I have to say while I support my party, I'm totally disappointed and we need to keep them accountable. The fact is, is the Costa-Hawkins bill exists because of Democrats. For 40 years we've been fighting this. And for, for, from 1978 to 1995 when it was passed, this bill was authored by Democrats. Jim Costa is a Democrat. One year it was John Garamani, a Democrat. One year it was Richard Alatori, a Democrat. And so these people need to be held accountable. Yes, right. Woo! Woo! of serving with in the U.S. Senate. So here's the thing, we didn't take all of that energy and continue on course to transform America. Because you know, America's been moving to the right, to the right, to the right. Government by and for the powerful, government by and for the privileged. How about some radical concepts like government of by and for the people?
Tom Birnbaum, who is an ADEM delegate, to discuss what happened in San Diego this past weekend at the conference. Um, pretty good. It was a great weekend, actually. Excellent. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happened. Let's start with talking about Ruben Major, uh, who is running against Alex Padilla for the Secretary of State position. My fellow Americans, my name is Ruben Major, and I'm running for California Secretary of State. Every day on the campaign trail, I meet amazing people from all walks of life, all of whom just want to see our country flourish and fulfill its promise to our citizens, and all of those who want to be productive members of our society. The color of your skin, your country, of origin, your religion should not be factors that determine your access to the American dream. Regardless of how or when we arrived here, we are now part of the fabric of America, and our strength is in our diversity. And so we must be a nation that welcomes all, whether you speak English, Spanish, or Navajo, whether you're Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, or practice no religion whatsoever. Your gender identity, your sexual orientation should not be a problem for you. And that's why we must all fight to work together to keep the American dream alive. I see him as being a great candidate that's interested in uh, election reform and fixing some of the problems that we had in the last primary. I understand that he, great, he gave an excellent speech on the floor. Can you walk us through that? Um, well, I, I can hit some highlights for sure. And, okay. you know, first of all, it's worth mentioning that you know, he's, he's a new face. Um, you know, and to get on the statewide ballot you, uh, for the endorsement, you have to show that you're viable. Uh, uh, and that could be that you're in office already, that you've raised a certain amount of, of money, which is $250,000. We may come back to that with another story. And, okay. Or that you get 300 of the, uh, you know, 3,300 or so delegates to sign a petition. And he did that. So, you know, he, he's, um, he has somebody who's just made a case of one to few people at a time that he should be in this conversation against a sort of super entrenched uh, secretary mm -hmm. of state incumbent, somebody who a lot of people believe because of problems with the elections in 2016 was responsible for, uh, you know, for what happened in the presidential primary. Right. And, and, and also who continues to sort of shock me by things like, introducing the Dianne Feinstein at the convention. So, you know, like, uh, we, you know, we've talked before, I, I, I like youth sports analogies. And it's like yeah. everybody prefers when the, when the youth soccer ref is not like a dad, mom or dad, <laughs> one of the teams, yeah. right? <laughs> and, right. And this one was like a dad from Dianne Feinstein's team. Right. And, and, and was a dad from, from the Hillary Clinton team last time. So, uh, at least, anyhow, so Ruben, that's the general case, but he's got some very specific issues that one has to do with the software um, that is used in some voting uh, machine systems, that whether that software is proprietary and that nobody can kind of look at it because it's a, it's a hidden deal with a company in the state or whether it's an open source software and people can Mm -hmm. um, at least understand what are the processes and then uh, that are involved in that. And then there's some other things about uh, sort of how ballots, like making sure that there's um, ways to look at things like paper ballots. Um, so it's, it, it's a set of issues. And, um, 
I'll also say that our friend uh, uh, Janine Roan, who you've interviewed mm-hmm. before, um, is super knowledgeable about everything and 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 has to. Yes, in fact, she she spoke with me about the software situation, and I believe she also brought up there's something that they could be using that actually scans a photo of each ballot that's cast that's viewable online, if I'm not mistaken, and I think this is something that Ruben had supported. I'm not sure what the name of it is. Is that ringing a bell? Did you discuss this at all? Like ring a bell, but 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 can't say more. And okay. um, so sorry for that. This is right. you'll get. And also one other thing too. You know, we you and I have talked about this previously, and so and uh, but and you talked to Janine some about this too, but also the thing about ballot harvesting is sort of a difference between those candidates. So, right. Uh, Padilla, did, did Ruben bring that up or no? No, it, it, he's talked about it, uh, but it wasn't in his speech. But I see. He's, okay. He's a poster. Got it. So that's a highlight. He didn't secure the endorsement, but at least he was able to speak and bring some of these things into the conversation, and I think that's an important, an important step. Do you think he has a chance of winning uh, the election? Uh, you know, like it's got to be considered a long shot right now. So you know, okay. th- these are the kind of races that the average voter, you know, has a hard time researching this kind of thing. And the very right. first they're going to look at, and, and this is true of something like the insurance commissioner race, the, um, the, like the lieutenant governor race, they're going to look to see if the party has endorsed somebody. The average voter who's a Democrat is more likely to be part of this election. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's, it's a long shot. Okay. That's a fair, a fair assessment. So we had a lot of controversy surrounding the Dianne Feinstein non-consensus endorsement. Two things about this were upsetting to me. I was a little bit put off by this idea that she's entitled to the endorsement. Voters have a right to pick who they want. Politicians work for voters. We don't work for them. So the sense of entitlement that stems from that is a little disturbing to me, and I saw a lot of that over the weekend. And the second argument that I saw was this idea that progressives were trying to split the vote and then hand the election to a Republican, which is completely patently absurd given our semi-open primary system. No matter what happens with this particular endorsement, you're going to end up with two Democrats in the general election. So this, is, this isn't even on the radar of possible things that are, that's going to happen. You were there um, present, and I wanted to ask you specifically about something that one of the Hillary Clinton ex-staffers said, and that was that everybody was uh, yelling times up at her, and he was, trying to, he was trying to say that this was some sort of ageist thing that was going on. But my understanding was that she was speaking beyond her allotted time in her speech. What did you see? Yeah, no, it, it's one of those, like, unexpected ironies that popped up. And I don't I, – I mean – I honestly don't think ageism is the operative thing in this in this story. Or, or what I what I what I've been saying is, it's not that Diane Feinstein is too old. It's that like her politics are too old. The, right. The the, the 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 state has moved, and you know she when she was elected to office in 1992, it was the same year as um, Bill Clinton. And it was mm-hmm. part of that same sort of thing, right? It was that to, a Democrat had to be tough on crime, 
and show mm-hmm. that by willing to be, you know, put tons more cops on the streets um, to be, uh, you know, she was strong, exact opposite of, for example, Kevin DeLeon, who himself emerged from the anti-issue 187. So that was a ballot initiative in 1994 that was this extremely, like, vicious right. anti-immigrant sort of absurd ballot initiative that helped wake up um, big swaths of the electorate and eventually led to turning state blue. So he was a leader in that movement and then, you know, goes through his, his career and is now, uh, among other things, certainly a champion for the undocumented. And so, so, um, and so the first thing about understanding that is that I think she's a little bit just trapped by politics that were defined by the exigencies of 25 years ago or, or more. Right. And then, and then, and then the next thing, I mean, as to that story, no, it was 100% clear what happened. She ran out of time. She ran out of the allotted time each speaker had. And this was actually fairly administered. There's a clock. The people in the convention can see the clock. It goes mm-hmm. down to zero. And when they hit zero, they start to play this, like, music to get the people to move on. So the right. music is fairly loud. And then she says, well, I guess my time is up. And obviously that was an ironic thing to people who think her time is up as a, as a, as oh. a politician, not really like her. So there's no, absolutely right. no question what this was. This is one of these ironies. <laughs> I think to sort of paint that as ageism, it's just, I mean, that's what, you know, you'd say that with a Republican at the end of their first term when you thought you were going to beat them, right? You'd say like, oh, right. not, you know, as opposed to four more years, be like, it's time is up, you know? So that's, that's that story. No question. That yeah, that seems like a fair assessment. You know, it's interesting that you bring up that it's not that it's against her age, but against how her uh, politics are no longer in line with where the state is headed. And I think one of the indications of that is when Diane Feinstein did originally run, she ran on the platform of being pro-death penalty, which yeah. was, that was, you know, that was a step away from what progressive politics were in the 90s, but it was embraced. And I don't see anybody currently in the progressive movement being okay with that so this is just i think you're correct i think she's a neoliberal she came up through uh, you know third way clinton type politics and she's still running on that platform and that platform has been left in the dust right so i mean to the extent that was in the zeitgeist at the time i mean whether you felt it was right or wrong at the time it it wasn't i mean in 1992 i didn't live in california i didn't really evaluate her but it, it you know is she Right, it was these things like immunize against yourself against the charge that you're soft on crime. So B for the death penalty. And interestingly, right. if you look at if you look at the uh, Basera uh, Dave Jones race for Attorney General, I think mm-hmm. that that was a, a significant factor, which is that Basera is pro, is moderately pro-death penalty, and Dave Jones is clear that he's against it. And, I, and that was – so Jones didn't win the endorsement outright, but he, he beat the Sarah in, in the town, uh, and, and, you know, I think that was one of the factors. Yeah, that makes sense to me, actually. Um, let's talk about Pat Harris for a moment. Yeah. Uh, so he was – he finally made it onto the endorsement ballot, but that was, that was a long road for him. He actually was involved in a party lawsuit. Can you take us yeah. through uh, what the lawsuit was and how he finally per- persevered and, um, and any problems he still might have? There, 
there, uh, let me pre-say that there's going to be a couple details that I'm a little hazy about, but I can give you the general arc of the story. So okay. first, first thing is, if, if um, in order in order to be on the ballot, and I started to mention this with the Padilla thing, at these things, you, you, you have to meet, you can't just sign up. You, you, mm-hmm. For the statewide ballot, you, you do have to pay something. It's like a thousand bucks. But you also right. have to meet these, these viability criteria. So one of the criteria is a, um, that you can meet and was the one that I think was most straightforward in his case was how much money you've raised. And I think the number is 250000 And part of that yeah. is he's a lawyer. It's an interesting biography. He's a lawyer who's done a lot of interesting kind of high-profile civil rights stuff. And, but he's, he's made some money as a lawyer. And so he self-financed part of his campaign. And between what he gave himself and what other people have given him, he beat the threshold. But when he applies for the party's, uh, you know, th- their approval, it just says he needed to raise $250,000. It doesn't say in the bylaws, like, where it came from. And yet right. they said, well, you gave it yourself, so that doesn't really count. So that, that's the kind of thing you see, right, where if it, yeah. doesn't fit, if it doesn't fit the program, the bylaws are stretchable enough. Or, or Well, they're not, but, you know, just sort of vaguely stretchable enough. So, you know, he, he, so it, it looks like he's going to be shut out by that. And he he. he he turns around and says, I'm going to sue you because you're not following your own bylaws. I don't know the, um, the sort of legal, the exact underpinnings of that. You know, but that's what he did. He challenged them. So then the, the, the CRC, the um, Compliance Review Committee, which sort of evaluates appeals of um, rules type situations, looked at the situation and for better, for worse, whatever, they, I mean, I think for better, they decided, hmm, I think he's right. Maybe we shouldn't put the party through this lawsuit. And he gets on the ballot. <laughs> so, you know, you know, he's got, I think, good politics. For right. a warm, friendly guy, he is from Arkansas. He's like, a, he's like a white guy with a little bit of a southern accent. So everybody has that sort of initial, like, oh, wow, this doesn't sound like a guy from California. But anyhow, you get to know him. He's, he's, he's a nice guy. I agree with a lot of his politics. And then he's willing to take on this madness in the party, this kind of thing that a lot of people see again and again, where the, the sort of endorsement process has some, some combination of rigged rules, rigged impersonation of the uh, rigged, sorry, interpretation of the rules or something else. And, you know, and that people willing to fight that stuff. And there's a couple other situations like that statewide where that's happening means something to a lot of people and certainly meant something to me. And so, and yeah, so he, does, he does get on the ballot. He does get to give a speech in front of, you know, this big audience. And, you know, he, you know, he, look, he didn't, he didn't get tons of, you know, like 5% of the vote, but no, right. he, he, you know, he made his case to uh, uh, the, the statewide thing. And he made some pointed criticisms of the party to everybody, you know, to all the delegates and the leadership of the party. And, you know, so there he is. The other thing is that, you know, it's, it's an interesting, volatile race, right? Like, like it's, I mean, who knows how Diane Feinstein will respond to, for example, not having gotten the endorsements. Uh, right. What if she, what if she, you know, what if she decides it's the wrong time um, or time's up <laughs> and, and, and suddenly it's like Pat Harris and 
Kevin DeLeon on the debate stage. So you know, I, I, I think one of the things is you have to, be, you have to play to win. You have to be in right. the game, and, he, and he's in the game. And I think that, the, that there's a couple other fairly, fairly prominent sort of, sort of Bernie-esque candidates um, who, for whatever reasons, I think could have, if they chose to, gotten on the ballot too. Uh, David Hildebrand and Allison Hartson, and, and they just decided right. not to. And I, in, my, in, in, my, in my opinion, they harmed themselves by doing that. Well, do you think that they weren't able to meet the viability standard? Because I was wondering that as well. I noticed that they weren't on the uh, on the list. I am, to full disclosure, I am interviewing David Hildebrand at the end of the week, so I will ask him about well, this. You, you, you should. But, um, my, this is what I heard about. So David Hildebrand knows, like, is, he knows way more. He's a very familiar guy to activists in the party, particularly, you know, on the left. And so if if Ruben Major could, could get 300 signatures. David could easily, easily. Hmm. And some people choose to pull, not to play because they don't, you know, a rig, uh, what seems like a rigged game. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm interested. It'll be interesting to hear what he has to say on that. So let's yeah. talk about, there were a lot of no consensus, I noticed. That seemed to be, um, which I'm actually okay with. I like the idea that the incumbents weren't, weren't uh, taking all the endorsements, which is, um, I, I think this is a good thing for our democracy. Let's talk a little bit about the, the folks that did get endorsements. Which ones are you happy about? Which ones are you not happy about? Let me just go down the list. So, yeah. you know, the first one, uh, state controller, Betty Yee, uh, uh, you know, unopposed, so fine. Um, the... One that so the a one that bugs me um, is the insurance commissioner. Mm, so, okay. And and that is that. Um, so Ricardo Lara. So I'm unhappy with the result there. Um, so Ricardo Senator Ricardo Lara got the the um, endorsement, and he was challenged by a sort of newcomer named Dr. Asif Mahmoud. And I have posted a little bit about this. Uh, a brief summary of my the, the bottom line is I voted no endorsements. Uh, if I were to have to vote in the election today, I would, would vote for Dr. Mahmoud, uh, but I voted no endorsement. Now, my objections to Lara are related to healthcare politics primarily. Right. So, and that and that is that what looks on the surface like a good thing, which is that he was the author of the of SB 562, the bill to do. Medicare for all in the state um, is turns out to me to be a big liability and a demonstration of a lack of leadership on his part. So I, I think that he, you know, what he should have been was a champion for this bill and fighting, for example, publicly taking on the speaker of the assembly, Anthony Rendon, who had blocked the, blocked the bill and continues to do so in the, um, in the assembly, in the, in the rule, right. holding it in the rules committee. And instead, he, so it's like instead of being a champion for the bill, he's using the bill as a, as, as sort of a, a, to champion his political career. Right. Mm. So it's not that he's, he's for single payer, he's for using single payer to win the next political office. And, okay. you know, and, and I, and I think my evidence for that is ample. So one is in his silence. Two is in his proposal for an, 
that he's now introduced for an incrementalist sort of building on our failed system in a way that may seem like kind of a good idea, but maybe on another time we can talk about it, why I think it actually uh, is harmful and uh, and undermines progress. So I think that he's sort of the big faker in all this, Uh, Mm -hmm. like a true frenemy of, of Medicare for all. And I, and you know, that we're talking right. about the commissioner. That's what that, you know, what, you know, and it's clearly yeah, it matters. given. The, yeah. So, so there's that. Um, the party gave the nod to the election umpire who's on one team mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and yeah. not, he said like fight for one team and not for fairness in the system. He advocates a set of things that are, that I, he's got some policies I agree with, but I just think the things I disagree with are really substantial. And that people who are mad about 2016 have a lot to be mad about. With this is an example of right. the party, I think, not holding people accountable for failure. I agree. The next one would be the state stu- um, it's superintendent of public schools, Tony Thurman, um, and he's running against a guy named Marshall Tuck. And it, this is sort of like. Marshall Tuck is extremely associated with charter schools and just such, such a water carrier for that thing that it just, I, it, I just don't, that, that's just the wrong thing for me. And so people can right. really disagree on some of the nitty gritty and how much and this and that, but the, the, he, uh, you know, Thurman won overwhelmingly. I mean, he was the most popular. I easily, you know, he's the biggest mm. winner of the, of the day. Okay. So let's see. Then let's see. Fiona Ma, straight treasurer, also unopposed. Um, I, you know, I voted no endorsement on this one because there's a guy named Vizek, Vivek Visnawasan, who is a, at least a corporate free guy running an alternative type campaign. And he's not um, okay. flawless, but I, I liked him. And anyhow, I voted no endorsement. But, she, you know, what, what can I say? Un, unopposed. And then all okay. the Board of Equalization races, kind of funny stuff. But, yeah. mm-hmm. Oh, I like funny stuff. <laughs> well, what funny stuff do well, you have? Here, here, here's the funny thing, which is the sort of, you know, Kurt Vonnegut, you know, the, the author, once said that if you can't explain your life's work to an 11-year-old, you're a charlatan. Yeah. For the most part, <laughs> I cannot find people who can give very clear explanations of what the Board of Equalization do. And when my son Otis, who we're going to talk about, asked me about the Board of Equalization, which is not my life's work, by the way, um, you know, I said, you know what, Otis, I can sort of BS you an answer that it has something to do with like kind of tax appeals and tax fairness. But, and, mm-hmm. but there's a, a, a very significant argument out there that it is an anachronism from the 19th century that um, related to counties where people just pretty much didn't pay their taxes at all and was just trying to sort of make sure that state tax law sort of applied in all counties in the state. And, right. And that it, that it lost, it, its original purpose has disappeared, but it remains just a stepping stone and like a, a you know, like a public works job for mid-career politicians such that mm. the people who run for it identify themselves as people who like care about their pol- political career more than like any purpose in public life. <laughs> and so, and so, but my, my proposal was that Otis and I go around and, and that Otis asked all the candidates, what does the board of equalization do? And that we I like love video it. that. 
And so I you know, love we, didn't it. Quite, we didn't get it together, but like maybe, you know, maybe, in a, maybe at some time we could reproduce that, you know, oh, it, 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 he might be too old by the time that elections come up again. And so maybe, right. maybe one of my daughters who are eight right now will be in the sweet spot for that. There is one candidate running in um, region three, which is the one where we live in who, right who said she was running on the platform of abolishing the Board of Equalization, which is a constitution, you know, would require an amendment. <laughs> but she, she was the main exponent of this, this just an absurd office. Um, I love it. Or they could That's be taken true. care of by some other part of government, its function. Right. So, like right. the Franchise Tax Board or, or something. So, well, she anyhow, has my vote then. <laughs> That's a, yeah, I know, I know. I actually found that fairly compelling, but, you know. But she's still running for the Board of Equalization, which is, like I said, it's its own, you know. No, I remember uh, talking with the Board of Equalization on a trip once in Sacramento, and their entire focus while I was up there was trying to collect tax revenue from medical marijuana dispensaries because apparently they were about to, ta- they were about to collect all the tax revenue and the feds step in and shut down a bunch of the dispensaries. This was obviously a few years back. But it was really fascinating to me because I asked, I asked them, well, how much money are we talking about here? And she said, a lot. That's the thing. I guess that they're like, you know, like if there's a problem with, with the IRS's determination of, you know, what counts as taxable or non-taxable behavior. Somebody was telling me that, like, for example, when, when hospitals give away charity care, and we know how, like, fungible or you know, screw, you can screw with the, what the cost of care is. So you can see right. how you can kind of make up how big an expense that is, that it sort of somebody has to decide what that is, right? And so right. In, 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 in a federal circumstance, that that would go to like a federal tax court. And we elect people to determine this stuff. Right, I right. Think, I, I sort of think that's right. I don't even know if that's right. So anyhow, it's not that there's no possible point the function, right? Like that, you're, you're right. Like where, how do you, yeah, what happens with the marijuana tax money or whatever if they, I don't know. Right. So it's a good, it's, you know, it, it's a, it's a good question. It's just so funny to think of like waking up one morning, snapping, right? looking in the mirror, snapping in your fingers and say, God damn it. I'm running for the board of equalization. I'm putting my foot down. I'm mad as hell. I'm going to equalize. That is the hill I'm going to die on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So anyhow. No, you're right. It's kind of funny. Some amendments that were up um, for debate, did anything, was there any movement that we're happy about on the progressive side? Um, Are you talking, so do you mean, um, when you say amendments, do you mean amendments to the, um, to the platform, the party's platform? Right. um, The party's position on ballot initiative. Because the resolution committee took some positions on initiatives and I wasn't, I, I followed those honestly less than I should have. And so I sort of, okay. um, there's actually a lot to keep track of, it, you know, and, and so that I will have to defer to somebody else. What happened at the platform committee uh, hearing that was interesting to you? Well, I'll tell you the thing that I paid the most attention to, a, a couple things. So one was some language on the question of Israel and, and Palestine. Okay. What, what's interesting is that that's, it's, there's a sort of fault line, I would say, mm-hmm. within the party. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because, 
there are, you know, there are folks who are very strong proponents of, of Israel. There are um, folks who are very strong proponents of the, uh, you know, the rights suffering of Palestinians. Right. And, and these include people who on all kinds of other issues are sort of allies and it's one of these sort of complicated issues. In fact, it's so, it's so complicated that it's on this list of things that I sort of prefer not to get into on Facebook anymore for a number of reasons. Right. I'll tell you my list. Yeah. It's charter, charter schools, vaccines, and, um, and Israel-Palestine politics. And it's not <laughs> that, that is, I don't have opinions. That's a good and list. Not that, and not that I won't share them. It's just that there's something about Facebook that prevents us from um, actually acknowledging the humanity of the person you're having a, a, deba- a debate with. I agree. It devolves quickly. And, and, and it, it's almost like road rage kind of stuff. Where yep. If, if yep. You, the way, the distance that you, being in separate cars. So anyhow, but, so I'm going to say something more about the process, which is that those, um, those, th- there was some language about the status of Jerusalem, you know, which President Trump has recently weighed in on. And some language yeah, I'm not happy about, about the, that. Yeah, about the boycott, divestment and sanction right. movement um, and, and, and that approach to the problems in Israel. And without getting into the details, what I'll say is I saw something very interesting, which is people on the two sides you know, who firmly, you know, really care a lot about their issues, people with, you know, somewhere in the, in the spectrum on that stuff, trying to get together and get to language that um, doesn't exclude their viewpoint from, from mm. that, that doesn't put them outside of the party. And yet that isn't like going to blow up the party. Right. And, and so, and, and I actually saw kind of, if you will, within that context, a bipartisan interest, not in giving up on their views, but not on making this the sort of main, sort of like a, a big press floor fight on the left. Mm-hmm. It's just not the core issue for most people. And, mm. it, and it doesn't mean it's not an important issue, but it just... I don't know. So th- I, I thought that was an interesting observation to the extent. That you know, is an and, interesting observation. Yeah. Um, I also saw, uh, and I was happy to see, some pretty strong pro-renters rights language right. get into the party platform. And, and that's been Excellent. important to me. And uh, it actually, one of, you know, there's been some real leadership from the area where we li- live in on that. Um, and Jane Damien, who's a, a delegate, uh, and... Um, was a real leader in that effort. And, and so anyhow, I was glad to see that. Sort of, uh, rent, no, that is good talking. news. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff. But those, are the, you know, I, those are the things that sort of caught my eye the most. I wanted to also ask you about, there was this great video that Otis did, your son Otis did, where he was talking about um, SB 562, and it, 
It went viral on Twitter. So, I, my name is Otis Burmum. I'm 12 years old, and I fully support single pair because healthcare is a human right. That's simply it. Everybody in, nobody out. And um, we live in a system where corporations are taking, I think, 30% of the overhead in the Affordable Care Act. And this would save the country billions and billions of dollars while ensuring that everyone is covered. So, again, we have to go back to healthcare as a human right, and everybody in, nobody out. And that is what I believe. And um, that's why we should have SPXs to single pair in California and hopefully in the entire nation. Uh, he obviously, and I'm sure he's he's been listening to you, he obviously knew what the issues were about. It was really clearly spoken. And it was a great example of a kid being... Um, in a place where he could just speak truth to power. So how did that come to be? How did, how did that go down? Were you guys just wandering the floor and, and he was approached or? Well, well I know actually, um, no, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how this, this went down. So, so first of all, you know, truth in advertising, dad ran for the California assembly and right. <laughs> Otis was an interested, involved, you know, member of the team. He's heard me talk about this. And, uh, you know, I, I've tried to make, you know, he's a smart kid, but I've also tried to make the arguments simple and clear. And, and he, you know, he's, he's just listened. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing, too, and, uh, is that he, um, he just started middle school, and his middle school has a strong debate program. And two mm. weeks ago, he sends me a text that says, Dad, in our next tournament, we're debating, um, we're sort of like resolved, the country should go to a national single payer program. So nice. he has been as part of a, a voluntary activity. Nobody forced him to do debate. And nobody put, nobody put their finger on anything that said that, that this tournament should use that thing, ha, has really been looking at the arguments for and against systematically very carefully. He's familiar with the fact that the state is looking at it. So he's so there's a period of time where he's there with my wife, and we didn't have an observer pass for her. That's a long story. Mm-hmm. And, and so, but they're walking around the exhibition hall, because kind of, you know, it's sort of a fun place. There's all these little booths from different, you know, issues, candidates, and lots of, you know, whatever, swag and candy, and, you know, just kind of stuff that sort of fun and games for him. And he gets to the, the California Nurses Association booth, and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're saying they're out they're, I don't know. They had some conversation with them and they're doing, they're just like, you know, he's a supporter and he said, and somebody said, would you do a video? And he just does it. And it just, he just does it from his, you know, stuff he knows because he knows the stuff. And what's funny is if you look at, if you look at some of the hater Twitter comments, I mean, yes, it's been seen by like 29,000 people, which is, I have to laugh. That's amazing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like, there is nothing on my, like when I ran for the assembly, there was no video product that like hit that. <laughs> even, right. even remotely close to Not that. Even I remotely. Mean, my, my, my paid media team, whatever, you know, promoting, using their tricks. <laughs> any, so it's, just, it's, just, it's just funny. But it, it, it's great. But like if you look at some of the haters, they're like, you can tell he was coached. You can tell he was following the script. You can tell like <sighs> this is how the left brainwashes his – Things. I think right. that kid couldn't define half the words you said. And it's just, you know, it's like when you it's know sad. the truth and all that stuff, it's like, right. it's just funny, you know, how it's, it's you're as a, you know, I think, you know, Tina, you're a journalist and you're a, and you're, you see stories yourself. And, and I think you can yeah. sometimes see how, how people, you know, it, when you know what's going on, 
how lots of people got the story get the story wrong. Easily, easily right. oh, the story yeah. the way that fits their view of stuff. Absolutely. Um, Antecedent you know. bias. Folks make the same arguments about the Parkland kids who are out there trying to lobby their senators for gun control laws. They're, I mean, they're calling them crisis actors, they're coach. It's the same sort of arguments, and they're completely vacuous, in my opinion. Why is it that, why is it that people can't imagine that a child can, can be well-spoken, intelligent, and form great arguments all on their own? I, do, I really don't understand this. I actually, uh, I interviewed this 19-year-old kid last week that's running for a school board in Broward County, and he was amazingly well-spoken. It, it's, come on. I mean, kids can be smart. Uh, anyway, I really enjoyed the video. Yeah. I thought it was just like the perfect campaign ad for Medicare for All. <laughs> it was just, I'm glad that that circulated. Yeah, no, and, and me, me too. I mean, I was certainly proud of him, and yeah, I mean, you know, it, it actually reminds me a little bit of, like, you know, say what you will about the Women's March. The, the whole, like, kind of Trump camp argument that it was all, like, a, a bunch of paid, you know. Right. You know, like, the, like paid act, astroturf actors. Right. Crisis like, actors. Many, it's like hundreds <laughs> of thousands of people know they're still waiting for their checks to come in the mail, right. you know. It's right. like, I'm still waiting. Where's my money? You know, it just didn't show up. So, right. Anyhow. Or or being yeah. a Russian bot or being like or being a correct I mean, it's just down off the charts. If somebody doesn't agree with you, that's sort of the kind of the social media argument that they go to. Um, what else happened that you wanted to bring up? Um you know, I let me I'll tell you one thing that I was involved in, and you'll decide if it's newsworthy enough to, like, cut it off and whatever. So there's a, um, and you'll be like, oh, and Ron said there was nothing else. And, you know, no. so, um, but it, the, the answer is the future will hold whether this is newsworthy or not. There is a, an organization that's called – it's a statewide chartered organization of the Democratic Party that's called the California Democratic Council. And so statewide chartered organization is stuff like the California Young Democrats. So it's not a right. caucus. It's kind of like a separate thing with its own charter where it kind of has its own finances and can take some positions separate from the party. It doesn't have to speak with one voice like the party does on endorsements and that kind of thing. Mm, okay. So anyhow, the CDC is this old organization that was founded by Alan Cranston, the senator, now deceased, who had been, you know, like 60, 70 years ago. And at a time, it was an incredibly sort of powerful organization that was the place where the anti-war branch of the party kind of went during the Vietnam War, right? Mm -hmm. It was sort of this, if you will, a kind of progressive alternative to the mainstream of the party. And guess what? Maybe we need something like that that's still of the party but critical and, and right. looking at. Now, so it has an official purpose, which is to be a, a sort of um, incubator of grassroots activism, which is, you know, everybody thinks that's a good thing. But, we all, but actually, if you really believe it in your heart, you believe, it, it will lead to progressive stuff. Grassroots stuff always leads to progressive stuff, almost always, when it's real, really authentic. Because right. it's, the, it's, the, it's the unpaidness of it, you know, if it's, if it's not right. after trip, like if it's real, right? I mean, it's just people, you know, saying what, thinking what they need and getting out of their house and, you know, whatever, organized. So, so anyhow, it's an organization that fell into disrepair 
um, it, it's almost like a Somalia, like it fell apart, like they just sort of ceased to function. So there were some special elections called, and a slate of candidates, uh, on, of which I was a member, um, and, and who were all sort of alumni of, the, um, of last year's fight in the chairs race, which was between mm. Eric Bauman, understood to be more the, the sort of the establishment person, right. and Kimberly Ellis, who was who many people who were Bernie supporters rallied around and who was a sort of critic of the, um, you know, a reformer of the party. So a lot of the alumni of the Ellis campaign were kind of some of the leaders were the heart of this slate. And this slate won every single seat um, out of That's, 14 or wow. 15. And so what I, it's this new hope, I would say, of a kind of, um, you know, a, of an alternative voice and vision that has a very, you know, very positive um, role it can take in being an incubator of grassroots activism and, and can also provide by its methods and by its um, observations and by organizing a different way than, than the establishment of the party has taken the party uh, recently. So I, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, 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 think, I, that's, am, no, I think that's I'm, very I'm newsworthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it takes a little Do, explaining, and, you know. Bubble. Right. Do they have a delegate or no? Are they like a charter club where they get a delegate? You know, um, yes. I think they get some seats on okay. the – like, there's no question the president of a, of a state – on the executive board. So yes, mm. that's gonna, okay. there's going to be a little direct influence within the party, but it has its potential for kind of almost, I mean, at risk of being a little incendiary, almost like being like a shadow government, like the, you know, mm. how in the UK, they're sort of, you know, the, the party in opposition has a set of ministers or you know, right. designated shadow ministers who are sort of like, no, right. this is what we would do if we were, you know, and they, and if I would be the minister of health if we were in power, and this is what we would do. So that's how they kind of present an alternative mm. in that, you know, setting. So, um, well, that sounds like uh, an important voice. Why is it the more voters don't know about this organization? I actually was unclear as to who they were until last week um, when I, you had brought them up to me originally. You're either going to hear about it or not. And if you hear about it, I think it'll be a good thing. But right. I'm, 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 the people are really strong and really serious. The, um, so I got to add in one little other funny thing that happened that's sort of yeah. still characteristic of the problems with the party. So, yeah. um, you know, so there's a race that was for the, uh, it's for the congressional, for the, for CD45 to take, to beat Mimi Walters, who like votes with Trump 100% of the time, basically, um, in CD45. That's so annoying. Which is like down in, down in Irvine. And so yeah. um, the, basically the, the guy who wins the, that sort of apparently wins the, um, the endorsement caucus is a guy named um, Min, last name is Min, and he's like endorsed by like the new Democrats, sort of like the blue dog Democrats, and he's a, you know, uh, uh, unapologetic centrist who is, right. know, it actually, like refreshingly in a certain way, says he's against single payer. So obviously I disagree with him strenuously, but it starts to be mm -hmm. hard to find, like I'm dealing with, constantly dealing with frenemies and not people who are just yeah. willing to say <laughs> yeah. they, that's not what they want to do. And so it's actually, right. you know, it's, anyhow. 
So, um, so using party processes, the, um, the, uh, you know, so that was determined on Saturday would be going on to what's called a consent calendar, like this mass just sort of a final approval of everything on Sunday. Mm-hmm. But there's a party process where you can, you can gather 300 signatures and people do it to block him because he just doesn't quite seem to many people like the right guy. I'm Katie Porter. I'm running for Congress in California's 45th Congressional District. This vote to vacate is about what kind of Democrat we want to send to Congress. And this year in California, we have the chance to pick up seven Republican-held seats and take back the House. But delegates, we know it's not just about electing any Democrat. It's about electing a Democrat who will act like a Democrat. We need Democrats who will stand up for our values. My opponent in this race is endorsed by the New Democratic Coalition, the former Blue Dog Caucus. Hear this, brothers and sisters. I am proud to call myself a progressive. Right, but anyhow, that, so that's what happens. And in fact, like, you know, Saturday night, there was this very fun, like, Bernie Kratz dinner with all kinds of great speakers, and, you know, I, I, you know and this is a really fun event. Um, and the, anyhow, there's people going around gathering these signatures, and they gather enough. So now the whole convention has to kind of take a vote on this situation. So the, the chair, Eric Bounce, <laughs> brings this up. Yeah. He, he calls for one minute of debate from... Um, times three from each side. So like alternating minutes right. of debate. And some, you know, p- some people say their things. And then sort of shockingly, you know, this is a room with like thousands of people in it. He calls for a voice vote. And, you know, hmm. there, there are all kinds of people who are, there's like journalists in there. There's observers. There's like, right. you know, like, like Otis wasn't in there, but he could have been in there because they like, you know, would let him in with me as a kid, you know, and, you know, you know what I'm saying? There's all... And, you know, it's a little ambiguous what the result is. Right. And obviously that doesn't check everybody's credential. And he's like, well, the way I heard it, the, you know, the, the, we've sustained that guy's endorsement. And, you know, it, oh. it's, you, know it's, you, you get it, right? It's one of these things where, come on, you know. Like, come on, it, yeah. It, it, Why it, would he choose so, to do a voice, voice vote with all those folks in the room that aren't supposed to have a vote? That's really bad. It is. So there's two answers. So the, the nominal answer that he'll give, he would give is, oh, well, it's going to take a whole long time to tally up these, like, you know, in other words, all these people, like, want to go, it's Sunday, they all want to get done with this stuff and go home, which is a bad reason, right? And so, like, you know, that, that everybody, you know, everybody sort of wants to make it happen fast, uh, which may or may not be true, but he can kind of argue that. And then, because that's, like, his nominal reason. But the real answer is then he can, you know, he just gets to call the answer he wants. And whether, that's, whether that was in fact would have been true or not, we'll never know. You know what I mean? Because it was never counted. So, you know, it's, it, it, these, these are the kind of things we're, we still have to do better with. You know, where once again, the, the, umpire, the umpire is, um, 
you know, yeah. the, umpi- the umpire is a New York Yankee in, like, in a black suit. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, anyhow. That's right. The, if anything, the optics are bad, and I think that's what the leadership needs to understand. This kind of stuff, you know, and it might be the case that it, it would have gone the same way if they had actually done the vote tally, but they should have done it anyway simply because it's the right thing to do. And when they don't do it, the optics come out, and then people get angry. Rightfully right, so. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, right, it's what seems like th- this is sort of the paradox of the unity project. Right. Mm-hmm. And in fact, yeah. another thing that was sort of running through, which is that right now, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, that, the, you know, there's that set of unity recommendations. And you were, you've been right. on top of this process, I know, because you're really, yeah. really interested at the DNC level. And, you know, who the holdouts are on approving yeah. that is <laughs> California and New York's delegations. And, and so that's a job we all have to do. Everybody, we should be calling all our DNC delegation and saying, we should, you have, I agree. You, you have to support this. And, and the, but the point is that the reform is, is not being fractious. It is the thing that could unify the party, right? There's I agree. Lots of people who can accept disagreement if they think the stuff is fair. They're going to disenfranchise more of their voter base, and we can't afford to lose any more voters. It's That's not... Fine. Yeah, it's not to their benefit, and I'm not sure, I don't understand why they don't see this, Ron. It's so clear and so obvious, uh, to me at least. And you're right. right it, I, more people would be willing to accept defeat if they thought it was a fair defeat, but when they know it's not fair, they get angry. Right, and, and then and in, the, in, in a state of distrust, everything gets interpreted, you know, as however yes. people, you know, it, it, it it'll amplifies. Then, exactly. Exactly. So I, I don't see, I, I, let me, or how about this? I'd like to see more effort at building more trust. And that, I think that, that's the thing that will have, it will pay dividends on the unity front. And that comes from fair and transparent processes where actually people believe that what happened was just based on honest, uh, you know, opinions of people who have their position based right. on honest means and then that kind of thing. Right. 